Good morning. Welcome. Good morning, everybody. There you go. There you go. Glad you're here today. Welcome to everyone. Uh, we're glad everybody's here. It's a wonderful day to come together as God's children, as God's family, to worship the Lord together. And we welcome you. Uh, we welcome our guests especially today and, and hope that God will bless you in a very special way and hope you'll feel a part of our family. And one, one of the ways we would like to, uh, to welcome you today is to greet you. Uh, so let me invite everyone to stand up and turn around and shake the hands of the people around you. Let's just have a moment of greeting each other. Find somebody you don't know and introduce yourself this morning. Thank you so much. It's always a, a joy to uh, express the love of Christ with one another, and we're, we're glad that we can share that. <clears throat> a few announcements I'd like to call to your attention this morning. Uh, first of all, uh, let me remind you of our attendance sheets. That's on the clipboard on each row. We'd uh, like to ask if you would to take that and to fill it out, put your name and address, your email address on there and phone number and uh, check the appropriate box so we could have a record of your attendance with us this morning. If you are not on our um, email newsletter, we send out a newsletter every Thursday morning uh, that has some of the activities of our church. And if you are not on that, please be sure to put your email address on there so we can get you on that list and you can be up to date with what's going on here at Community Baptist Church. Uh, also, right after the worship service today, our young ones, our children, will be going to McDonald's. They're eating lunch at McDonald's, and then from there they will be going to the planetarium. And I think the cost for this is six dollars. And uh, and so, if you would like to go go to this, uh, please see Larry right after the worship service. And I'm sure they're going to have a great time. I kind of wish I could go with them. I, that sounds like a fun a fun trip. Coming up also, on April the 25th, uh, the Kentucky Baptist Fellowship will be having its spring gathering. Uh, the, the meeting will take place in Louisville at Highland Baptist Church. And um, anybody who would like to go and be a part of that and celebrate the missions of, and, the, and the work of Kentucky Baptist Fellowship, we encourage you uh, to go and be a part of that. Um, and there, there will be a deacons meeting today. I don't think it made it into the, uh, into the calendar, but uh, there will be a deacons meeting today at 5 o'clock uh, here. And uh, so if you're a part of that, we encourage you to be here. One other thing, and uh, this is, this is a, a good problem for us to have. We need some teachers. We need some teachers to fill the preschool slot, uh, actually during two different time periods, during... Sunday school during Bible study time beginning at about 9.30. We need a teacher for that hour. And we also need a teacher during the worship hour for our preschoolers, for our one and two-year-olds and our three and four-year-olds. And so if you're interested in, in filling one of those slots, we will love you. <laughs> 
We will certainly love you as the children will love you, I am sure. Uh, so if you are interested in doing that, please let us know. We're glad you're here today, and we're here to worship our Lord. We're here uh, to focus on God and God's forgiveness in our lives. We've been talking about forgiveness for, for several weeks now, and we're finishing up our series on forgiveness today. So let's, uh, let's focus on our forgiveness from God and our forgiveness of ourselves and our forgiveness of one another. And let's begin by reading God's word uh, from the letter to Colossians. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In Christ, you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ when you were buried with him in baptism. You were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ when God forgave us all of our sins, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. God set this aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the word of God for you and for me. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this wonderful grace that you have shown us by forgiving us of our sins. There is nothing we have done to deserve this. It is simply a demonstration of your love for us, that you have nailed it to a cross, that you have buried our sins at the bottom of the deepest sea and it will never rise again. And we thank you for that, oh God. Oh God, we pray that we as your people may accept this grace. And sometimes that's hard to do because we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We have a hard time comprehending just how great your mercy and forgiveness is. Or sometimes we have a hard time forgiving others. But God, you have forgiven us and that's something that we need to, to recognize and accept. And so we need to forgive ourselves and forgive each other. Help us, oh God, to live the forgiven life. Help us to release the burdens that weighed heavily upon us and give them up to you, oh God, so that we can be free to live the life that you want us to live. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
seated. Some of you will be happy to know we've been getting estimates, or they've been getting estimates on our audiovisual stuff and getting back where we have our guitars and drums and all those kind of things. And because uh, I've noticed that even people who never thought they would like words before are going like, how am I supposed to go from the hymn book to the uh, bulletin and all those kind of things? And we're working on it. So if you can just hang with us for a while, we'll appreciate that and look forward to having those things back with us. Boys and girls, Brother Robert's going to be sharing with you today. And the congregation goes, uh-oh. Boys and girls, you want to come in for our children's time this morning, come on down here and gather in this area. If you need somebody to come with you, or you think somebody needs to be with you, whichever way that works, be glad to welcome you to be do that. Y'all aren't going to laugh if I fall off this bucket, are you? Good morning. Boy, this is a big week, isn't it? What happens this weekend? Tri-Fest, right. Everybody's going to be looking forward to that, aren't they? Go down there and get something good to eat. Well, I wanted to uh, share with you this morning about one of my favorite objects around the house and something that I just don't know how I'd get along without. And I'm sitting on it. And it's a five-gallon bucket. And this is my favorite one because this one has a little padded seat on it. I can swivel around, and, and it's, just, it's just like a lazy boy out in the yard. <laughs> and what I do with this, um, I do keep this out in the yard. And when I'm working mowing grass or working in the garden, sometimes I get tired pretty easily. And I always find this bucket's in a really nice location under a shade tree. So I'll go over there and just kind of sit for a minute on this bucket. And you know, I think this bucket just provides a lot of comfort and, and rest for me. So uh, I just don't know how I would do without it. And then something else that I do with this bucket, I'm always working and piddling in the yard. Um, and I load myself down with tools. And I'll have yard tools, and I'll have hammers, and I'll have uh, screwdrivers. And uh, I even keep a power drill out there because I put up birdhouses all the time. And I used to try and carry all that in my hands and my arms, and you know what I'd be doing? Dropping things all over the yard. Well now, I keep a five-gallon bucket out there, and I just put those things in that five-gallon bucket, and that is so much better to, car to carry those things. It's not such a burden on me. And something else that I do with it, these buckets, uh, sometimes when I put like young plants out in the spring, and maybe a little too early, and it's like it was yesterday, it's real windy and real cold. Well, I will take these buckets and turn them upside down and put them over these plants to try and protect them from the cold and, and from the wind. So that, because they're so young, their root systems haven't established yet, and that wind will just blow them over and kill them. And another thing I do with a five-gallon bucket, but not this one, is a lot of times I have to stand just a little higher to pick something up or to get on the uh, top shelf to get something up there or to do one of my least favorite chores, wash windows on the outside. And a five-gallon bucket is just exactly right for that. I stand on that bucket, I can reach the top shelf or I can reach the top of the window. So th those are just reasons why a five-gallon bucket to me, it would, it would just be almost unthinkable not to have these around our house somewhere. But you know, I got thinking about this the other day and I thought, 
Now, you know, somehow a five-gallon bucket has to have some kind of a religious theme there. There has to be something to it. And, and some people I know kind of treat a five-gallon bucket as kind of a lowly object, but I don't think it's that way at all. But I did get to thinking about some of the things on a much more serious note that God offers in my life. And, you know, I told you that I couldn't imagine not having a five-gallon bucket around the house. Well, I couldn't imagine not having a daily relationship with God. Now, I told you this bucket that at times I use it for things like uh, to protect plants. Well, you know, God does that also. Sometimes um, maybe those strong winds come about in life and things that we're not anticipating or things just come out of the clear blue that can really throw us into a, a, a difficult situation. And not that God promises to, pre to prevent that happening, but he does promise to help us get through that. And I think it's kind of like God, like those, that bucket uh, putting some kind of shelter or protection around those plants, that God does that for us. And then sometimes um, my job is not the most stressful job, my real everyday job. It's not the most stressful job, but sometimes I get kind of overwhelmed at work. And I get tired. And I may just have to just take a few minutes sometime during the day just to kind of establish that contact with God through just a short prayer. It may be just, I'm thankful for this day or that I need help. That I find that God is there. And it's just like that bucket. It's a source of comfort and it's a source of rest for me. And then the other thing is that the bucket, oftentimes I use it to carry those tools. Same way with God. A lot of times in my day-to-day -day life, it just seems like I'm there, I just can't take on anymore. I've got everything that I can carry. And then I may have to pray to, and, and ask God to help me with this. And God kind of becomes like that five-gallon bucket. He knows when I'm overburdened, and God will help me to carry those burdens. And then the last thing I mentioned was about standing on the bucket in order to get a little higher elevation or so to, to do things like wash the windows or to look for things on the top shelves. Well, you know, Brother Tim has been talking with us for the past several weeks about forgiveness. And I'm pretty good at asking or, or well, I'm pretty good at thinking that other people forgive me for what, what I do to them. But sometimes I don't always reciprocate real well. I'm not the best about forgiving other people. And sometimes I think I have to ask God to elevate my life and to help me stand on a little higher ground so that I can forgive others. And I know that God answers that prayer. And it won't be through anything that I can do, but it's through God who puts me on that higher ground. So these are some of the reasons why a five-gallon bucket is very important to me. But more importantly, these are some of the reasons why God is so important to me. Thank you.
Heavenly Father, we just come here, here today with thankful and grateful hearts. I just ask today that you be with those who are in need and, and are suffering and that you put your kind hand on them. And I ask that you um, continue to uh, be a part of our lives in a way that we are constantly um, showing through our lives that we, that we love you and that there's such a bigger cause out there and that cause is to honor you with our lives and our hearts. Amen.
<laughs> Is this thing working? Oh, yeah. Saw a bucket, I thought, well, okay, he used it for a crutch. I was kind of hoping he'd leave it here. Whenever uh, we started this thing with forgiveness and everything, brother, brother Tim and everything, it brought to it brought to mind something that I really struggled with for a while. Just as with everybody talking about, you know, where were you when you heard about John F. Kennedy? With the 9-11 stuff, I really, really, really struggled trying to figure out. And I wondered how in the world someone could hate so badly to be able to fly an airplane into a building and kill thousands and thousands of people, innocent, that really he didn't know. And so I wondered, you know, exactly, you know, hate what does that have to do and how do you forgive that kind of stuff so as I was struggling around and praying about it and just thinking about it and everything I opened up the Bible and where I opened it up to was King David had just received word his worst enemy had already been taken care of. And it was his son, Absalom. And David cried. It wasn't tears of joy because an enemy had just been taken away from him. It was because with the death of his son, there were no more chances to get rid of the hatred that he felt toward him. And so, with that in mind, I, was, I, I sat down and I finished up this, this little song, and uh, I hope I don't offend anybody by it. Don't you remember when you came out of the sky Sitting wide out of wonder, ask the dead Lord why How could you let this happen, ain't we still a chosen few The victim list got bigger, even with the rescue When the bragging started, it caused our souls to rage And made us all cold hearted Satan loves that stage Heal me, Lord Ask no one's permission We sent the soldiers on the way If you don't want us climbing fences Best run them back this way When we look at one another All we see is a bunch of dust Be he Yahweh, God, or Allah He's what makes us us I still believe in you Ain't afraid to drop my sword Ain't no end to retribution Vengeance is mine Says the Lord Heal 
If I have to have an enemy, let them know that they're yours too. Our children have to heal, trust we break, but they'll only bow to you. Heal me, Lord. Thank you. Terry, that is so powerful. Thank you. Terry, is, uh, you have a real talent for, uh, for writing songs that are so meaningful, and, and um, uh, Terry's often sharing with me some of the lyrics he's written, and, and, uh, and I'm just constantly amazed at the, the power and the, and the passion behind the words that, that he writes. So thank you very much, Terry. Appreciate that. <clears throat> We are finishing up today our series on forgiveness that we began on Easter Sunday. And each week during this series, we have taken a close look at the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. If you remember the parable, when it begins, there's a father who has two sons, and the youngest son is so dissatisfied with where he is that he asks his father for his inheritance before his father even dies. And so he takes his share of the father's estate and goes off to a foreign country, turning his back on his family and greatly insulting his father. And he wastes all of his money on wild living. And as soon as he has wasted all of his money, a famine hits the land and he finds himself taking a job feeding the pigs. He's so hungry that he ends up eating the same food that the pigs eat. Well, about this time, the young man sort of wakes up and realizes what's going on, and he recognizes that he was better off with his father, and he would be better off with his father, even if he had to be one of his father's servants. And so he comes up with his plan. He knows that he's messed up his life, and so he plans to go back home to his father and ask for forgiveness and see if his father will bring him on as a hired servant. And so he, he comes back home and, and Jesus says, as he told this parable, he said, as the son was in the distance, the father who was waiting for him saw him and went running to meet him. He wraps his arms around him and the son said, Father, I'm sorry I have sinned. Please forgive me. Take me on as one of your hired servants. But the father would have nothing to do with that. Instead, he brings him back and restores him to full sonship. And then he throws the biggest party imaginable to celebrate his return. Now, there's a whole other part to this parable because there was another son that throws a little temper because his dad was so generous with forgiving his younger brother, but I'll save that for another sermon. Uh, I, I, I'm mostly concerned today with the brother who was forgiven. However, we're not told what happened after he was welcomed home, after the party, so to speak. We're not told what happened, and I've often wondered what happened to this young son. Because you see, the son returned home and received his father's forgiveness. But I wonder, did his life really change after that? 
I mean, he wasn't happy at home before. So was he happy at home now? And he had treated his father poorly before. So how, has, how, is he treat, how would he treat his father now? Would he be able to forgive himself for what he had done for wasting half of his father's estate? Would, be, would he be able to live a forgiven life? Well, that's the same question that I want for all of us to ask ourselves today. Am I living the forgiven life? Have I truly received God's forgiveness in my life? And if I have... Has it radically transformed who I am? Or am I still living that same old life that I was living before? This series kicked off on Easter Sunday. And Easter is a reminder to us that Jesus gave his life for us so that our sins could be forgiven. In fact, in fact Colossians 1 verse 4 says, God has purchased our freedom with Christ's blood and has forgiven all of our sins. Did you hear that? God has purchased our freedom. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't purchase it. It is a gift from God, and all we have to do is to receive this gift of grace that Jesus has provided for us and ask for forgiveness for our sins, and our sins will be removed. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins to God, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. My friends, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, when we ask God to forgive our sins, God will wipe the slate completely clean, just like that father did for the prodigal son. But the question is, what happens next? Because you see, this is my biggest fear. I believe that many people are not living the forgiven life, including Christians, a lot of Christians. We may, some of us may never have really accepted God's forgiveness of our wrongdoings, but even if we do accept God's forgiveness, our lives don't really change that much. And so we walk around with a lot of dead weight on our shoulders, a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt that we're carrying around in our lives because we didn't really accept God's forgiveness. And that inability to live a forgiven life, that inability to receive God's forgiveness and to forgive ourselves and to forgive each other, that can cause us to literally become sick. Physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually sick. Dr. Carl Menninger, famed psychiatrist, once said that if he could convince every person in a psychiatric hospital that they were forgiven, he said 75% of them would walk out that next day. You know what that says to me? That says to me that in our society, our biggest problem is not a psychological problem. Our biggest problem is a forgiveness problem. And so today we're going to look at God's solution for our forgiveness problem and what should happen in our lives when we really receive God's forgiveness and how we can live a, 
a mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically healthy, forgiven life. Hopefully by the end of the day, we'll be able to strip off some of that baggage that we've been carrying around with us on our shoulders. Because when I'm living the forgiven life, I believe that God wants to replace four heavy burdens in my life. And here's the first one. I believe that God wants to replace the burden of doubt with a spirit of certainty and security. This is a burden of doubt about myself, about others. It's even a a burden of doubt about God. And, and, And here's the definition of doubt. Doubt is defined as an uncertainty of belief that interferes with decision making. Did you get that? Doubt is being so uncertain about what I believe that I am unable to make decisions about the future without doubt getting in the way. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say you're at work and you are offered a promotion, but this promotion requires that you step up to another level of work and you're afraid. You have doubts about your ability to do it and and you say, I don't think I can do, do that. I, can't, I don't think I'm up to that, so I'm not going to take that promotion. Or let's say you're at a certain job and, and you have a certain pay level and you feel good about it, but God's calling you to take another job that's going to be more fulfilling in your life and is more rewarding in your life, but it requires a cut in pay. And you don't see how that's going to work out for you financially, even though you know that God wants you to to do it. And so you have doubts about whether God will take care of you. President Franklin Roosevelt once said, the only limit to our realization of tomorrow will be our doubts of today. And so that first burden that living a forgiven life will help us get rid of is is the burden of doubt because God wants to replace that burden of doubt with a sense of security and certainty. You know, when I go to bed at night, I know for certain that I'm safe. And you know why? Because I have a deadbolt on my door. And I know for certain that that deadbolt will work. And so when I go to sleep at night, I sleep with security knowing that nobody's going to get in my house because of that deadbolt. But you know, a lot of people are suffering from spiritual insecurity because we have our doubts about God. We aren't sure whether we have met all the requirements, so to speak, to get into heaven. We're not sure if we're good enough to to measure up to what God wants. And we aren't sure that God really will forgive us, that God really cares for us. And so we have our doubts But you see, God and God's forgiveness provides us with security. In Hebrews 10, God says, I will never again remember your sins and your lawless deeds. When your sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Folks, you don't have to doubt your security with God because when God steps into your life and offers you forgiveness, it's done. 
And there's nothing else that you need to do to be secure in your relationship with God. So you can unload that baggage of doubt that you've been suffering with. Because God is trustworthy to do what God has said. And God says that you are forgiven. You are loved. So get rid of that burden of doubt today. Then the second burden that living the forgiven life will help us get rid of, I believe, is the burden of guilt. This is the guilt that we feel because of our past mistakes and our sins. And this is what guilt is. Guilt is culpability for the things that we've done wrong. Guilt is knowing that we have messed up our lives and now we are experiencing the blame for that mistake. But here's the thing about guilt. Guilt always comes with another emotion attached to it and that other emotion is shame. And shame is a humiliating emotion that makes us feel badly about ourselves. Folks, there are so many people carrying around this baggage filled with guilt and shame over the mistakes that we've made in the past. And, and, and there are all sorts of mistakes that we've made, mistakes in our relationships. There are times when we've turned our back on God and things that we've done that we're embarrassed about and we know we've messed up and, and we try to get rid of this burden because it's such a heavy load on us. But no matter what we do, we never seem to be able to feel pure and clean again because of something that we've done in our past. Maybe you're like the psalmist who says, my guilt overwhelms me. It is a, it is a burden too heavy to bear. And folks, for a lot of people, this burden is the heaviest burden of all, almost too heavy for them to bear. But here's the good news, my friends. God doesn't want you to carry around this weight of guilt for the rest of your life. In fact, I believe that God wants to replace that guilt with peace. And let's get this straight. God is not the source of guilt or shame. I know there are a lot of people who think that guilt and shame are weapons that God uses to manipulate us, to get, get us to do what God wants us to do. But, you know, kind of a, like a holy guilt trip, something like that. But that's not what God wants from us. God doesn't want us walking around with this load of guilt, weighing us down and debilitating our lives. As Christians, we are forgiven. And so what? we don't have to be burdened with guilt. In Acts 13, it says, Everyone who believes in Christ is free from all guilt and declared right with God. Do you hear that? We are free from all guilt. Listen to this, my friends. God forgives you. And because God forgives you, all of that guilt is removed. And it's, it's not just in the past. It is completely removed as if it never happened. And that's what God's peace can bring into our lives. That's how God removes the guilt and the shame from our lives. It's completely gone. And we can lay down that burden of guilt and shame and pick up the blessing of peace. 
Then the third burden that living the forgiven life can help us get rid of, I think, is the burden of grudges. And we talked about this a little bit uh, a week or two ago. These are the grudges that we hold against other people. These are those hurt feelings and anger and resentment, those hateful thoughts towards a person that we think have, uh, has harmed us in some way. Let me tell you something, folks. Carrying this burden of grudges on your shoulders it can be very destructive because it's so easy to get consumed by a grudge. But when we hold on to that anger, When someone has hurt us, we end up hurting ourselves even more. And it ends up becoming a huge weight, a burden, holding us back. And unfortunately, holding on to that grudge against another person, it doesn't hurt that other person anyway. They might not even know that you have a grudge against them. It doesn't bring any relief at all. It doesn't bring a sense of of satisfaction The only person it hurts is the person holding on to the grudge. And it's just another weight that you have to carry around trying to live your life. God doesn't want that for you. God wants to replace my grudge with freedom. And the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can have that freedom is like we, we mentioned when we were talking about forgiving others. The only way we can do that is by releasing the other person from the guilt of what they've done. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, release them. Release them from the guilt. Release them from having to say, I'm sorry. Release them from any possibility of revenge. That's the only way that you're going to get rid of that weight that you've been carrying around, that weight of a grudge. You know, the image that comes to my mind when it comes to holding on to a grudge is that of someone jumping overboard on a ship in in order to save a, a precious treasure. And as they grab on to that treasure, it's so heavy that it begins to to sink and they go deeper and deeper and deeper. And so it becomes a choice of, am I going to keep holding on to this thing and sink to the bottom of the ocean? Or am I going to let it go and go back to the surface to save my life? Folks, there are probably some people here today who are holding on to that anger and that, that grudge and that resentment towards another person. We don't want to let go of it. Even though we may be sinking deeper and deeper and wasting our lives every day and God says let it go it's not helping you in any way come to the surface to the freedom of life and save your life by releasing your grudge George MacDonald said forgiveness is the giving and so the the receiving of life and that's so true isn't it Forgiveness is the giving and so the receiving of life. By forgiving others and releasing them from my grudge, I'm offering them life. And in letting go and releasing them, I'm also receiving life. I'm receiving freedom. So release that grudge and find peace. And finally, the fourth burden that Living a forgiven life can alleviate, I think, is the burden of fear. 
This final weight is one of the heaviest burdens that we can carry because so many of us are afraid to step into the life that God has in store for us. We're afraid. We're afraid to follow God in the path that God has for us. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of looking foolish. We're afraid of not being successful in our lives, in our careers. We're afraid of some financial situation that we may be going through. Uh, We're afraid of commitment. We're afraid of finding Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. We're afraid of losing our marriage. We're afraid of death. We're afraid of of growing old. Folks, we have a lot of things in our life to be afraid of. And so heavy that sometimes we feel like we may just buckle under its weight. But let me ask you something. Did God create us To live a life of fear? No. God doesn't want us to live in fear. God wants us to replace our fear with courage. And here's the definition of courage. Courage is the strength to venture and to persevere and to withstand fear. Now I want you to get this. According to this definition... Courage can only exist in the presence of fear. I mean, if you're doing something that, are, that you aren't afraid of, it doesn't take a whole lot of courage, does it? I mean, no. Doesn't take a whole lot of courage for me to do something that's relatively simple. That's, you know, I'm not afraid when I sit down to, to write something on a piece of paper that the pencil is going to take a life of its own and come up and stick me somewhere, you know? I'm not afraid of that. It takes, courage can only exist when we're afraid of something. The only time that you can be courageous is, is when you're afraid of something. So this tells me that it's not wrong for us to be afraid. We're gonna have fears. We're gonna be afraid sometimes in our lives. But what is wrong is if we live in a constant state of fear. Because what fear does to us more than any of these other burdens is to paralyze us. Fear keeps us from moving into the future that God has in store for us. And and so, so often because of fear, we stay in our comfort zone because we think that it's the safest place to be. But let me tell you something, folks. When God calls us to follow Jesus Christ, God is calling us out of our comfort zone. And that requires us to overcome fear with courage. We need to get out of our comfort zone. I remember when I went to study in Spain, summer after I graduated from college, I was to attend the University of Salamanca, Spain. And On the way over there, I had an eight-hour layover. I flew from Atlanta, and I had an eight-hour layover at the Miami airport before proceeding on to Madrid. And I was a little skeptical about my abilities with the language, even though I had the best Spanish professor in the world, um, and Spanish was my minor in college. And, and, And so I thought that I would test the waters a little bit Uh, while I was down in Miami by eavesdropping on the Cubans in the airport there um, just to see how things would be. Well, I was taught Castilian Spanish, the kind of Spanish that they speak in in Spain, and the Cubans speak this 
something very different dialect with strange accents and shortcuts. And as I was eavesdropping on these Cubans, I was flabbergasted because I couldn't understand a single word they were saying. And this scared me to death. I was about to go to Spain and I couldn't understand Spanish. But I got out of my comfort zone and I got on that plane and I went to Spain and I managed to get by. I did okay when I got over there. They, they talk good Spanish over there. And I had one of the experiences of my life. But in order for me to do that, I had to step out of my comfort zone and take that step of faith that things would be okay. I had a similar experience about 12, 13, 14 years ago, I guess it was, when I began to get involved with a ministry to the homeless. I was taking a class at Columbia Theological Seminary, and one of our assignments was to feed breakfast to the homeless at the Open Door Community in downtown Atlanta. And I'd never done anything like this before. We were supposed to get there about 5.45 in the morning, and I was a little bit nervous because I'd never done anything like this before, and I didn't know what to expect, but when I got there, I was surprised to find about 60 or 70 homeless men and women sleeping on the ground around the building in which we were supposed to gather. It was still dark out. The streets of Atlanta were still fairly quiet, and I, and I parked my car, and I sat there for a minute, and I, and I finally got out, and, and I just knew that one of those guys was going to stand up and knock me in the head and take my wallet away from me. But I struggled through that discomfort, literally stepping over sleeping bodies, and I began a venture in my life that shifted my entire values, my entire worldview, my theology, and my compassion. And some of those people that I was afraid of ended up becoming some of my best friends. And I don't think that would have happened had I not taken that step of faith and overcome my fear and my discomfort. Usually I have found that the greatest blessings are found on the other side of a scary experience. <laughs> and I believe that that's the kind of life that God wants us to live. Overcoming our fear and getting out of our comfort zone. Does that mean that your life will always be rosy? No. Does that mean that you will never mess up again? No. But what it does mean is that when you fall down, God's going to be there to pick you up. And when you mess up, God's going to be there to forgive you. And when you succeed, God is going to be there to celebrate with you and to have something else for you to do afterwards. And so where is God asking you to step outside of your comfort zone today? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Doubt. Grudges. Fear. These are all symptoms of a, of a life that's not living, living in God's forgiveness. 
These are weights that we, that we carry around with us every day and they can become so heavy that they can stop us from moving forward. They can rob us from, of our joy and our life. And so why continue carry, carrying them around? God wants to replace each one of them in your life today. And all you have to do is to lay these burdens down and let God replace them with something positive. In Hebrews, we're told that we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses. And it says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, every, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. My friends, when, when God's forgiveness enters in our life, it is a powerful and freeing thing, and it replaces our doubt with security. It replaces our guilt with peace. It replaces our grudges with freedom. And when God's forgiveness comes into our life, we no longer to, uh, need to live a life of fear because God replaces our fear with courage and God wants to do that in your life today. So don't go around carrying these weights on your shoulders. Seek God's forgiveness and accept it today. And lay those burdens down. Let's pray. Oh God, today there are many of us who are carrying around one of these burdens or two of these burdens or maybe even all all of these burdens in our lives. And it's killing us. So God, help us to receive your forgiveness today. Replace my doubt with security. Replace my guilt with peace. With freedom and replace my fear with courage. We receive your forgiveness today, oh God, and and from this day forward, we want to live a life of forgiveness, free from these burdens that have been weighing us down. Help us, oh God, in Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing a hymn of response. It's number 310, out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come. What this is asking us to do it's basically what I've been saying all, all this time is to lay down that bondage. We are in bondage with our sin and with our things that, that weigh us down, these things that keep us from being the people that God wants us to be. But Jesus is calling us out of my bondage and sorrow and night to come to him and to lay these things down and to accept the forgiven life that God has for us. And it's a life that turns us loose to be the people that God wants us to be. Maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. We invite you to do that today. Don't let this go by. Maybe you're looking for a church home to be a part of. We invite you to unite with our church. Or perhaps God is dealing in some other way in your life. We invite you to come forward and share it with us if you would like. As we sing together, number 310, Out of My Bondage, Sorrow, and Night, would you come?
God, we do come to you today out of our bondage and sorrow and night. And we commit to you that we lay these things before you. And we ask you to remove these burdens from our lives. Help us to recognize, oh God, just how much you love us. Enough to forgive us of our sins. Enough that you would send your son, Jesus Christ. Your word says that this is a demonstration of God's love for us. That Christ died for us. What a wonderful, wonderful message that gives to us. A message of your love. Help us, O oh God, to accept that into our lives and live it. 